I've always had this burning desire to be my own person or be my own chef and cook my own food and just give it a red hot go and and fingers crossed everybody everybody loves it and it's just great to have not have those shackles anymore just freedom this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep The events of the last year have brought many issues in the hospitality industry to the surface. The long, stressful hours, the pressure to be creative, to be different, to meet deadlines, to please critics, to stay afloat. The mental health of those in the industry is being addressed more than ever, but with an industry that lends itself to addiction and self-medication, how does one navigate the landscape and find balance? Jane Strode is the executive chef of the new A Biodina in Sydney CBD. Jane, how are you going? Very well, thanks, Huck. How are you? I'm good. You've got this amazing, exciting, huge new role. What's it been like um, putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together? Uh, it's been – I'm, I'm pinching myself. I can't believe how lucky I am. I'm um, equal parts terrified and excited. It's <laughs> – <laughs> It's really special to be part of something from the very beginning um, and I feel very supported in by my superiors um, and I'm particularly excited about um, not having any previous staff members or food or, you know, there's zero ghosts. It's a completely clean slate for me. And uh, it's I'm gonna it's been a it's been a pretty crap couple of years, um, and I've lurched from being amazing to being at rock bottom many times, and just the timing of this feels like unbelievably perfect. We can um, talk about the last couple of years and how difficult that's been for you at a later um, time during this chat, but this new project does sound pretty epic. I know that there's probably some things you can't tell us about yet, but what can you tell us about what you're doing there? Uh, well, it's uh, the the space, the restaurant, it's a bar-led restaurant and it's on level 22 and we have 360-degree views of the city and it's super sexy. It's all black and gold and it's shiny, but it's there's... There's matte, the porous materials as well. It feels like you're Ray Liotta in a Goodfellas movie. <laughs> and wow. the, 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 the guys that are doing the bar, the maybe Sammy's guys, are just impeccable at, at their craft. Uh, they're born to make you feel special. They're, you know, hospitality just seeps through every pore and they're really incredible storytellers and – I just, it's a small kitchen, like a really small kitchen for a venue that has 194 rooms and 120 seats. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Hence <laughs> being terrified. But um, it's, you know, I've worked in really small kitchens before and the beauty of, of those kind of kitchens is that you can be very, very efficient. You can always put your hand on exactly what you need. And you can, you can staff it or your team can be lean and mean and tight because it's so efficient. Um, so we, the food is all to be shared. It's food designed to be to drink with. 
Um, I trained at Rockpool, so I love bold, simple, punchy flavours. I love the fact that there aren't any rules in Australian Australian cuisine. Um, as long as you understand the rules, you can go and break them all. And, um, um, yeah, we just I keep trying to bring the food back in my mind to it's kind of anchored in that 1950s New York Italian organised crime danger. You know, there's lots of conflict, but it's a really dynamic, exciting time to be alive. Well, it sounds like you're the lead actor in a new movie. Uh, yeah, I feel like I am. <laughs> I'm the lead actor in my own movie. <laughs> you mentioned that this uh, opportunity that you've taken up uh, also has, you know, there's no ghosts, there's new staff, it's a, it's a clean slate. T- tell us about that and, and what it's been like. Has there been challenges and benefits to that situation? Um, I think, um, I think, you know, being being married to Jez and working with Jez and um, we were we were a really incredible team. Um, but he was he was the lead actor and I was I played a supporting role um, in that team, I guess. And um, I think it was just natural. It was a natural thing. Um, I was completely okay with it. But I've always had this burning desire to be my own person or be my own chef and cook my own food and just give it a red hot go and and fingers crossed everybody everybody loves it. You know, Jez came from um, you know, those luminaries such as Pierre Kaufman and Roger Verger and, you know, worked at the Waterside Inn and he came with these European gods, you know, on his shoulders. And that took up a lot of space Um, and it's just great to have not have those shackles anymore, just freedom. You mentioned uh, that the early days of Rockpool for you sort of um, have transferred into the way that you'd like to cook now in the sort of simple simple, uh, techniques, uh, big, bold flavours, keeping it simple on the plate. Uh, is there any sort of dishes that you've been working on that you can tell us about that sort of exemplifies what you're doing? Um, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've got this, I call it a fireball, um, and it had just kind of knocked around in my head ever since I came and saw the space back in December. And it's enduya that's blended with mascarpone. It's rolled in lemon rind and marjoram, and then it's wrapped in katifi pastry. And then we bake it. So the katifi paste is really golden and crunchy and the andouille is really spicy, but it's creamy and oozy. And then it sits on a little bit of tomato jam. And then we have some Westmont pickles. So it's all, there's acid, there's freshness, there's spiciness. It's all happening. And as soon as you eat it, you just want a beer. <laughs> it, they just... It just it, feel, it doesn't matter what time of the day it, it, feel, it feels like oh my god and that's it's that ebb and flow or that you know being pulled in two different directions um, simultaneously that's the there's tension you know it's exciting not so good if you're um, a vegetarian or have a gluten or dairy intolerance um, but you know there's other <laughs> there's other things 
but they're not. There's not that many ingredients in that dish. Where, where did it all start for you? Let's let's go back to the early years of what what led to a career in hospitality for you. In food. Um, well, my mum my mom started a catering business when we moved to Kalgoorlie in 81. Um, and she and an, a, another expat and a Scottish lady, they didn't really have much to do. Both my, my dad and um, my mum's friend's husband, they both worked in the mines and they, they could both cook and they just just went for it and they made an absolute killing and uh, they learned on the, on the way and it wasn't about the trouble you got into, it was how you got out of it and they just laughed. They were laughing all the time. It didn't matter, you know, how much trouble they were in. They just just laughed and I just loved it. Like it was infectious and it was it was exciting. Um, so, yeah, my mum would sit me at the dining room table and go, okay, Jane, here's the phyllo, here's the feta cheese, I need a 1,000 triangles and off I'd go at, at eight or nine years old. Yeah, so it, I feel like I feel like it's I've been doing it for for forever. But it took me. I started my apprenticeship when I was twenty one. I kind of faffed around. I did a year of uni. I worked. I went overseas. I bought a car. Moved out of home. You know, did all those kind of things. But I'm glad that I was a bit of a late starter because Rockpool was so mind blowing and so hard. Um, physically and it was just another world that I was really glad to have had some life experience. I wouldn't have liked to have done that as a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old. Do you have any stories of sort of how, how what, the challenge, what the challenges were of that, that period but also sort of what you took from, from that? Um, um, no stories that won't get me into trouble. <laughs> um, I remember we used to. We never drank any water because we never had time to go to the bathroom. So we'd work 16 hours and then go, oh, hang on. I haven't been to the bathroom all day. Like we just, it was a, it was the day I started. Was It was in September in 1996 and we'd just won best restaurant in the Gourmet Traveler. So it was a really heady time to be in that restaurant. And Neil was there a lot. He just launched his cookbook. It was really special and I worked with some incredible chefs and I'm still really, really good friends with several of those chefs. We've been friends for over 25 years. Um, and I had the, 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 I was so fortunate to spend nine months um, underneath Lorraine Godsmark in the, in the pastry section. And she was my first mentor and she's relentless in her perfectionism and um, in her absolute conviction and desire to get you to be the most efficient machine you could possibly be. I remember um, learning how to whisk egg whites in our great big copper bowl for the passion fruit souffles, which were like just eating passion fruit air. And I'd be whisking with the balloon whisk and she'd go, no, no, and she'd show me and then I'd have another go 
and then she'd show me. And that we went back and forth maybe 16 times. Wow. And I'm in my head, I'm going, come on, Mozzie, come on. It's coke. <laughs> I'm doing it exactly the same. But she just, that's just how she was. And at the time it felt excruciating, but it was so worth it. You decided to move to Melbourne and work at Langton's. What what triggered that move? Um, I just needed a I just needed a change. I think, um, and I'd holidayed in Melbourne many times, and I loved the food scene, and I just liked the idea of uh, living in a different city. It was a pretty key period of time. That's when you met uh, Jeremy Strode. Uh, Tell, tell us what it was like working there because you both then ventured on to Sydney to do all of the amazing things that um, that you get, uh, gifted Sydney. Um, what was it like in those early days? Well, I worked for Jez for about a year before we really had a conversation. Um, we used to sometimes get on the – I was in the pastry section um, and he was running the rest of the kitchen and I had a pastry chef, Emma Mackay, who was also amazing, um, that I just reported directly to her. And it was a 250-seater beast of a place. So we were always really busy. And um, we, Jess and I used to get on the tram together sometimes because we both lived in St Kilda and we'd catch the Fitzroy um, tram to work. And I'd get on and be like, oh, God, don't sit next to me. I don't know what to, I won't know what to say. And we'd get on and we'd be opposite each other and he'd go, morning, Jane, and he'd just get the paper and open it up right in front of him and he wouldn't say another word to me. And I was, you know, and that, that was, it was like that for a year. And then we just slowly, I think Emma went away for 10 weeks on, on holidays and I ran the pastry section. So we had to communicate and I talked about my time at Rockpool and making harissa and putting prawns and smoked oysters and he was just really um, just he was just thirsty for knowledge all the time. He wanted to know everything. So we just really connected um, over talking about food and different experiences and, you know, we'd come from vastly different worlds you, you moved back to Sydney to run MG Garage, which left an indelible mark on the Australia's culinary landscape. Uh, well, tell us about that period of time and and um, what you got from that venue. Yeah, that was um, that was really a really interesting uh, time in our lives. Um, there are definitely things that we would have done differently. Uh, it was an incredible space. Um, and it got us to Sydney, but there were things that beyond our control that just didn't, weren't right. Um, yeah. But I always wanted to, you know, I was born in Brisbane. I grew up in Kalgoorlie. I met Jez in Melbourne, but I'm very much a Sydney girl. So it was great to be back. You mentioned uh, you're very used to working in tiny kitchens and bistroed in Surrey Hills was a tiny kitchen and you you also lived above it. What was it like running that tiny venue, um, living above it um, and trying to remain viable as well? Yeah, it was, um, it was very, very stressful. Um, it, it was a tiny kitchen, but it was only a 40-seater bistro. So... 
And um, I think because we lived upstairs and the office, you had to go through my kitchen upstairs and the living room to get to the wine stores to then go upstairs into the, the office. So anyone that, that worked for us was became family, like well and fully family. And there's no one that worked for us, especially in like a managerial or a chefing position that we are not, I don't consider family. Hunter was, um, Hunter turned six months the day we opened. So wow. I was feeding, he was in a high school. <laughs> I was feeding him Farex, that really dodgy first solid <laughs> and churning ice cream and shucking oysters and, you know, putting out fires. And then, um, and then Nathaniel, um, it was really wonderful actually to have a baby and then come home and then there's people all around because it's really isolating when you're a first time mum. And, you know, Jez would go to work and it would just be me and Hunter in an apartment. But with Nathaniel, there were people around all the time. I could always just go and engage with people. Someone could pop up and say hello. But then, um, it, once Jez took Bistro to the CBD hotel and I stayed on running um, the original Bistro until we sold it, I would have a nanny pick Hunter up from school and um, come bring him back to the house and then look after Nathaniel and then at 8 o'clock I'd run, they'd all, everyone would eat staff meal together and then at 8 o'clock I'd run up and grab the baby monitor and, kiss the kids and bring it back into the restaurant and she'd go home and I'd keep working. So, yeah, it was intense. Um, it was it was madness, actually. Like I did everything from buy the ice to stock the wine shelves to pay the bills, everything. Um, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't recommend having your own business to anybody. I just wouldn't. And then if you go and do it, good on you and you make it work that's brilliant but uh yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't ever do it again so one of the interesting things uh with your career has been all the peripheral things you've done uh, around the restaurants whether it's uh, the columns that you had for years in in good food or the cookbooks or um, volunteering at crown street public school with a kitchen garden tell us about all those things and how important they were um to you well, it gave me a bit of a side hustle, I guess. Uh, I, I've spoke, I spoke about how much room Jez took in the, in my, in the chefing partnership that we had. So I was able to own those, those projects, um, which I really enjoyed. I love writing. I actually really like writing recipes. Um, but the kitchen, running the kitchen garden at, at the kids school was, was a really, really special um, project for me to do. Uh, I love teaching. I really love teaching kids. And I love when you can really get into their into their brains from a very early age how wonderful and magical and how, how scientific and how you can how you can churn your own butter and make your own pasta and you know, one one time I brought in a whole massive squid and ripped out the head and the guts and pulled off the wings and they're all like, ah, that's gross. And I'm like, this is real food. And then we cooked it all up and they all 
they all ate it, you know, and some of these kids would have never tried squid. So it's really, really, really exciting and very, very gratifying to like blow minds, little small minds. And, um, and the garden, I, I can't garden, but, uh, at all, but, uh, my partner in crime at the time is an excellent, excellent gardener. And I just really felt like I was giving back. And using my skill set to give back. You mentioned the amazing partnership that uh, you and Jeremy had with the different venues and um, heavily weighted towards uh, him in the public eye and also um, with the weight of his experience. Um, The last couple of years have not been easy for you at all. You mentioned the highs and and lows. Um, Tell us about um, what it's been like the last couple of years since uh, Jeremy left us. Um, yeah, I, I mean, everybody, everybody deals with their own things very, very differently. And, um, the big thing for me was I had all these really conflicting emotions and I couldn't reconcile them. And I I just felt torn in different directions all the time. So I was filled with rage and I still am uh but there was relief as well which is like completely completely different emotion and I was when you're when you love someone that has a mental illness it's like there's another person in that relationship that you have to deal with sometimes more than other times um, and when Jez was really manic and he was manic about once a year for about three months, he was a completely different person. And I, you know, cumulatively that had really, really took its toll on me. So there was relief that I wouldn't have to deal with that part of him anymore. Um, you know, I'm devastated, devastated for my kids and all of Jez's family and the greater hospitality community. And I'm trying desperately to be who they think I should be. And uh, I, there really has been no space for me to even feel sad about it. And that's it's kind of what people expect you to feel. So I had to find a way and it was just time really um, to just be okay with that, that it's absolutely okay for me to feel all those things and um, and it doesn't mean that I'm not sad or that I don't love him or that I'm not devastated, but they're all like really authentic emotions. Um, and I guess when anything really shocking and traumatic like that happens. Um, you know, there's this huge this huge dump of adrenaline that you don't really expect and people say things to you like grief isn't linear. You know, you might feel good one day but then you'll feel really bad the other day. And they're all just words. Like it's all just noise until you live through it. So um, a lot of soul searching um, and... Yeah, a lot of like falling down and and then picking myself. What's been some of the um, key things that have helped you pick yourself back up again during this time? 
I never, I knew that I would get to a place where I was okay um, eventually. The industry is known for uh, particularly stressful uh, situations and hours and uh, lends itself to all sorts of things like addiction and um, it's never been very good at dealing with uh, mental health issues. Um, how do you see the issues in the industry um, given such a deep personal experience as yours? Um, I think I've been thinking about this a lot. So we are, we're in the business of dopamine and, um, and we, we, you know, when you cook for somebody and you provide someone with sustenance but also wonder and mystery, you know, your system is flooded with dopamine and this beautiful feel-good hormone. But it's almost like we're, we're in deficit in the kitchen because we work really hard and it's physically demanding and you cut yourself and you burn yourself. And if you work for a big company, there's all the, all the pressure to, you know, get a food cost and get your wages down and um, everything has to, you know, there's so many time constraints and time pressures. And then if you are a small business, if you're not busy or if you're not, uh, if the numbers don't work for you, that means that you don't have any, you don't have any money. You can't pay your mortgage. So there's, these are real stressful things, but we're not um, saving lives. We're not brain surgeons. We're just cooking food. So it feels like there's this real disconnect between how incredibly stressful it is and what we are, we're actually just feeding people, hopefully yummy food. And um, so the so we look for you know we look for dopamine in other areas, booze, drugs, um, you know, just partying, and they're not. It's not sustainable, and it's it just compounds if we have if we are anxious or we are depressed or we are strung out. Those quick fixes just compound the issues that we already have. And it's it's very much a play hard, work hard kind of mentality. And as, you know, Australia particularly has this culture of drinking and, oh, you're really hungover. Oh, yeah, well, I was really hungover yesterday. Like we just kind of, kind of, give us give each other permission to be like that behave like that because we were that person yesterday or we'll be that person tomorrow and it's no one really says ah oh, i think you've been hitting it a bit hard because we don't want that judgment turned around on ourselves but i you know i believe that you know jez had a significant mental illness and i believe being a chef and being part of this industry was one of the things that kept him alive for as long as he was alive. And I really believe that when he wasn't manic and he was depressed and that, that was a, he was quiet then. And he just, he just, I think he would, he just fought the good fight every single year that he was in that state to, to not do what he did. He just fought and hung on for as long as he could. So, but because he wasn't talking about it, because he was quiet and just, you know, he'd get up and go to work and come home. 
and and he, there was that relief that he wasn't really manic. We just kind of uh, didn't pay enough attention. And I, having never been suicidal, I don't think you can really ever get your head around what that means for that person, like how truly excruciating that must be. Um, it's a really, you know, I'm torn again with trying to feel, get how he must have felt to be able to do it with how could you do it? How could you leave my kids and me, you know? So it's, it's, it's just complicated. One of the amazing things you've done in the last year is um, working with Two Good Co, um, which um, is helping people with all sorts of things in regards to homelessness and mental health. And um, you had uh, it's an incredible dynamic um, company. Can you tell us about your role there and, and what impact it had on you? Um, I came on board as the head chef, uh, and I was super excited. And I, I loved I love teaching people, and I love teaching children and I we employ women over 50 that are suffering home you know facing homelessness or suffer domestic violence or some kind of trauma and I thought because I'd been through trauma I'd be really good at teaching people that have been through trauma but I'm not as good as I'd like to think as I'd like to be I um really missed that being in a professional kitchen and um I crave perfection and the women that came through were so beautiful and they gave us everything, but they weren't there to be chefs. So I um, I struggled with that, but I, I learned so much about compassion and second chances and how you can really really like food really is the language of love and how you can just time and effort and just can communicate so much and that that's sometimes that's all somebody needs is to know that there's one other person out there that is a complete stranger but actually really cares about them and that they're not alone and that their well-being is important and um, that's that's what Too Good does just so exceptionally well. You mentioned that the last couple of years you've uh, had to focus on what people expect you to be, um, but is this new role and the sort of leading role that you're taking with Aida Dina, is that allowing you to just focus on being the you that you want to be? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I love that... I love that there's a lot of there's a lot of different menus. There's in room dining, there's breakfast, there's dinner, there's a twenty four hour menu. Um, I love that the food is the food we're serving at in De, at Dean and Nancy is sharing plates. Uh, you know, I never want to have to order a main course in my life ever again. I, I just, <laughs> ideally, I just go to a restaurant and go, oh hey, just give me what's good. And, and that's, you know, the mystery and not having to order and food just coming out is like, is the best way to eat, I think. And I'm able to do that in that space. Um, given uh, the last couple of years, you're putting the pieces of the puzzle back together and um, putting yourself back together and th this new exciting opportunity, what sort of advice do you have for people in the industry 
sort of dealing with challenges and, and that sort of environment that you talked about that's so stressful to work in? Ah, um, um, well, um, advice. I, I feel like I, um, well, you've got to, you've got to work for people or with people that get you, um, that you respect, um, that, and, uh, more and more these days that work life balance is is we 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 it's we're finally getting it and it's for any longevity that's essential you have to have two days off in a row you have to have time with your family you have to be able to exercise uh so maybe uh, uh, maybe don't work for a company or an organization that doesn't really put that at the front um and there's there's no staff so anyone that's a chef or an an employee has really got all the power so if you go somewhere and they're not going to offer that to you then just go somewhere else like we're all screaming for chefs especially good chefs so use that power and i think really really know what your priorities are and what your motivation for doing something is. I, I think once I, I had to, I was trying so hard to be all these things for all these different people and it wasn't working at all. And I, I, you know, even going to too good, I've been through trauma. I'm going to help people that have been, that have gone through trauma. And it wasn't, it wasn't the right thing for me, not at this time in my life anyway but I just every decision I make I think will will this will this make my kids feel proud of me and will my will it make my kids feel safe so when I say safe I mean I'm not going to take a job where I'm working all the time and they never see me and if I every decision I make if I put it through that filter and I get two yeses then then I just go for it well Jane uh, very much looking forward to seeing uh, what happens with a Biodina and uh, we're very, very honored to have you on deep in the weeds today to share your story. Um, perhaps we can catch up down the track once you're all up and running and see how things are going. Love to. Uh, we'd, we'd love to talk to you again. Uh, please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. Huck. This is the deep in the weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPA community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.